Well, good morning, everyone. Hooray. <laughs> it's good to be here with you. My name is Ruth Matthews, and um, I'm part of the church family here. And um, it's great to see you. Wasn't that encouraging worship where we uh, landed up with, um, you know, just a sense of we want more of God. And uh, I'm so encouraged by that. I was, as Stuart and Brian were bringing their contributions, I was reminded in my mind of um, an outbreak of the Spirit some years ago and just going back to that place and thinking before that happened, you know, there was a real stirring within God's people that we want more. So I would just encourage you, just this isn't a moment just for Sunday, this is a moment for the rest of the week as well, that we keep asking God to keep filling us and to be people of word and spirit. So that wasn't the preach, that was just an encouragement. <laughs> You've not got off that lightly. Well, I'm going to be continuing the series, Jesus the Game Changer. And uh, I'm going to be, last week we were looking at the story of the prodigal son. And I'm going to fast forward a little bit. We're going to now be picking up uh, that moment after the crucifixion and the resurrection. And look at the story of the two on the road to Emmaus. And... Um, What I'm going to do, I'm going to give a little bit of background to that, then read the story, unpick it a little bit, and then see what from that we can learn and what can help us on our journey in our faith. But before I do that, I'd just like to pray. Father, thank you so much that you are true. Thank you, God, that we can trust you. Thank you that so many of those songs just reference the fact that you go before us and you walk beside us. And God, as we come to look at this story right now, I pray, oh God, that we would know afresh Jesus who walks beside us, that we would know that you are with us, that you go before us, that you give us what we need in our times of crisis and when we just need to hear your voice afresh. So I ask, Lord, that you come and speak this morning. I ask that you would take the words I use and would your voice speak to every heart here. I pray you stir us afresh, God, that we would know again that we are called to be your witnesses to the truth of the crucifixion and the resurrection and the life abundant that we have in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this isn't a spoiler because I guess most of you know this, but... um, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was crucified. That is, he was nailed to a cross. And uh, the reason he was nailed to a cross was because various groups of people were in opposition to him. The Roman authorities didn't much like what he had to say. A lot of the strict religious Jews didn't like what he had to say. There was a lot of fear around it. And ultimately, they trumped up some charges and got him arrested. And on a bit of a fraudulent uh, case, he was then charged and found guilty and put on a cross. But that wasn't the end of the story. And uh, three days later, on the Sunday, Jesus rose again from the dead. But there's that moment when nobody really knew, other than the authorities in heaven and the angels. But two women went to the tomb, 
And the idea, the thinking was, they'd gone with some spices, they were going to finish the job that they hadn't completed on the Friday. They were going to go and finish preparing the body for burial. They had to have a pause. Jesus' death was on the Friday then, it was the Sabbath, the day of rest, and they came early on the Sunday morning. And when they got there, first of all, they realised it wasn't quite as they anticipated. Because the stone in front of the tomb had been rolled away. And as they stood there, they were faced with some angels who said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. And suddenly everything had changed. So what they had anticipated to go to a dead body, they then found that they met the angels who gave them an encounter and a declaration of what had happened. The three days of the crucifixion, the resurrection, now led to that point where literally the course of history had changed. And it's where our lives have changed, where our communities and nations have changed. Jesus is literally the most incredible game changer that there has ever been and there ever will be. Now in that moment, I think the women saw something of the significance. And they went off to find the other disciples and tell them. And the women came in and said to them, look, Jesus has risen. What he said would happen has happened. But to the disciples, it seemed as if their words were nonsense. So that's the backdrop where we come to this story of the two on the road to Emmaus. This is later on the same day, on that Sunday. And I'm going to read the story to you. It's in Luke chapter 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked them. Talk about a holy setup. <laughs> about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. 
But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Excuse me a minute. So what exactly is happening here? Well, let's just unpack this uh, event a little bit more. First of all, the two were walking away from Jerusalem and back to Emmaus. And the likelihood is they were walking back to their hometown. So all the events in Jerusalem had unsettled them to the point that they felt what should we do now? It looked as if everything they had anticipated had stopped, so they decided to return to their home. And the topic that they were engaged in in their conversation was all about the recent events. They were just trying to get to the bottom of it. What had happened? They were confused. They were trying to make sense of it. They were trying to get some frame of reference. Clearly, they had heard the report from the women, but even so, it still didn't quite seem to make sense. And then suddenly, they're aware somebody has caught them up behind. And then this person, and as readers of the story, we know exactly who it is, so we've got advance warning. This person comes alongside and engages them in conversation. The two are downcast. It actually says they stood still and their faces were downcast. I have no doubt that that phrase probably is a masterful understatement of how they were feeling. They probably were broken completely, crushed, beyond disappointed. Their hope had gone. Interestingly, in the story, one of them is named Cleopas. The other one, we don't know. I wonder if it's almost a bit of an invitation that we can put our name in that place, that sometimes we're walking along and we don't understand either. The conversation then that Jesus has with them gives away some clues. First of all, they describe Jesus as a prophet. Now, they could have said a whole lot of other things. They could have said he was the Messiah or the Son of God or the Lamb of God, but they didn't. They settled on the word prophet. So what they're saying is this man, we believe, was someone who God was with and God used, but they're not necessarily get to that place of declaring that he was the Son of God or the Messiah. And I think sometimes... Jesus engages us in conversation, not so that he can get information from us. He doesn't need to learn anything from us. He knows everything anyway. But what it starts to do is get us involved in a process where we start to acknowledge what is going on and what we believe. So these two called him a prophet. 
They didn't really recognize him to be the Messiah. Not yet, anyway. And they certainly didn't recognize him either with their physical eyes. They didn't know yet he was Jesus. And at this point, they didn't recognize him with their spiritual eyes either. Jesus calls them foolish and slow. A little harsh, maybe. (laughs) But it's not the strongest thing he could have said about them either. And in his description of himself, he calls himself the Messiah. So right from the beginning of this conversation, Jesus is declaring some truth about himself. Messiah means anointed one, someone who saves or liberates, brings freedom. And then Jesus goes through the whole of Moses and the prophets. And that's another way of saying the Old Testament. So he unpacks all these things that were said about him. And in the light of what has happened, he's able then to explain how they've been fulfilled. Some years ago, I went to um, hairdressers. And you have funny conversations with hairdressers, don't you? And... uh, this time, he, he was asking me, what did I do for a living? Well, that's always a bit of a get You know, I can always then get into conversations and say, well, I work for a church. So we then got into this conversation, which revolved around, he'd recently been on an alpha course. And although he said, I still don't know what I think, and we then probably had the next half an hour or so talking about what the tabernacle was and a whole lot of other things, I was thinking, oh, dear God, just give me the right words. But then he came up with this line, and he said, I think the Old Testament really is a PR job for Jesus. And I thought, for somebody who doesn't believe, that's not a bad description, a PR job for Jesus. Probably this conversation with the two on the road and Jesus was the most amazing, inspiring, awe-inspiring Bible study that there's ever been. And then Jesus makes to go on to his journey, and they have to persuade him to stay. It's probably getting dark by now, but you do kind of get the sense from the story that there's something happening. There's a connection that's built. I mean, if you've had that most amazing Bible study, you're not going to let the speaker out of your sight. Hang on, stay with us a bit longer. Come in, have some food. So Jesus accepts and goes in and has some food. And the normal course of action would be for the host of the house to say a prayer as they break bread. But this time it's Jesus, the guest, who says the prayer. Who knows what prayer he said? I mean, there are all sorts of conflicting suggestions in various commentators. But no doubt, as he broke the bread, he said a blessing. And I wonder if in that moment, when Jesus was in perfect communion with his Father, that's when the recognition came. We don't really know. But then Jesus vanished. And then they begin this other conversation. Didn't we realize, as he was talking, something was going on in our hearts? Then they do something remarkable. Bear in mind, they've already walked from... Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is seven miles, which most of us would think that's a pretty healthy stroll, without finishing their meal, without going to bed, without anything of the comforts that you would anticipate, they certainly didn't have their night's sleep. They turned around and went back again. So they then walked another seven miles because what they felt was 
that the message, what they had seen and experienced, was far too important. I wait till tomorrow. We can sleep. It'll be fine. We'll go back to... No, they knew they had to go. And what's more, they were not going to hang around. They went back to Jerusalem. And they found the disciples, and then they put together the rest of the picture. And then they began to realize, yes, Jesus is alive. He has risen. It is true. The ultimate game changer. So what can we learn from all of this? How does it help us today? Well, clearly these disciples, as they were walking, they were living with a vast amount of uncertainty. Their whole world had turned upside down. And you know, for us, when we're in periods of uncertainty, it can produce a lot of turmoil. We can think about, will my exam results bring the results I want? Have I done enough? Is this relationship going to be the one? Will this pregnancy go full term this time? Is this house move going to happen or will it all fall through like last time? And I honestly think that by and large, we're not very good at this sort of stuff. This is a silly example, but it might help you. Some weeks ago, I I think it probably was some weeks ago, we had a football match where England played Colombia. Do you remember the one? And um, it was full time and it was 1-1. And uh, I thought, oh, I said to Colin, I'm going to read my book. I thought as they go to extra time, I, I felt I'd invested enough emotional energy in this football match. I was not then going to spend another half hour when I could be reading a book. So I went off and Martin's shaking his head. He thinks he's appalled. <laughs> so um, I went, and, but then Colin was downstairs and I was upstairs. He yelled out, it's penalties. Oh, my goodness. You know, the worst torture of all. So I went downstairs, and then this kind of process, you know, oh, you can hardly bear to look, and you don't, and you're sort of doing this, and you you sit down for a minute, and you get up and walk. Anyway, ultimately, of course, England won. And then, sometime later, I watched those penalties again. It's no problem. It's fine. It's cool. We've got this. In fact, I enjoyed it. Now, that is the difference between uncertainty and certainty. We knew the outcome. I don't know if any of the rest of you did that. We knew what the result was going to be. And that changed how we then felt. There's no doubt about it. If you're living with a degree of uncertainty and anxiety, you can feel your stomach is churning sometimes. You maybe don't sleep very well. All of that kind of stuff can happen. However, I'm not certain it's always just about our circumstances. You see, what really gives us certainty, because after all, even the best circumstances can change, what really gives us certainty is knowing Jesus is with us in the moment. He is the one that can give us confidence because he walks beside us. And even when we're feeling completely confused and downcast. And sometimes we don't even realise he's there. But he is. 
Some years ago, we um, were on holiday in North Devon and we took a boat trip to um, Lundy. It's, I think if you get there in decent weather, it's lovely. Well, we'd had very good weather up until the day of the boat trip, but we bought our tickets, so we went. I mean, And as we went out, the skipper, and it wasn't a very big boat, I guess about 20 people were probably on it, but the skipper said to us, Look, the weather's closing in, so I'm going to leave a bit earlier. And by the time we had walked up the hill, we couldn't see anything because the, the fog and everything had come down. And, the, and I, th- I think we escaped to the one and only... Well, there were two buildings, a church and a pub, and uh, we went to both and then walked back down the hill. So um, I don't remember seeing much about anything. And by the time we got there, everybody else, I think, had arrived even earlier than he wanted to us to return and we set off and once we got out of the shelter of harbour we really hit this storm that had brewed up and I don't know how you are on boats but this boat wasn't just doing that but it was doing that as well and as it had gone down under the wave the engine was really having to work hard to come back up the wave and some people had managed to get in the wheelhouse with the skipper and we didn't and um I was really I thought this was great. And as we were travelling back, um, I just felt God was with me. And we started a little bit of conversation. I felt God asked me, are you enjoying this? And I said, yeah, I am. And what was interesting was I was finding myself going, ah, as we sort of went up. And I was really enjoying it. And we had this bit of a conversation. I felt God really speak to me through that moment. But do you know what I also felt was that I didn't feel any fear? Because I knew God was with us. And it, it, for me, it changed it. By the time we got back and we had got off the boat, the skipper said, I've never done that journey in that bad weather. <laughs> so if I'd known that in the moment, I'm not sure I would have been quite so, oh, it's fine. But do you know, God's reassuring presence brings us through, even when we walk through the shadow of the valley of death. He is there with us. And the second thing with these two is that they really had lost hope. And there are clues to this. Their faces were downcast. Their body language gave the game away. And they talk about the hope they had had very much in the past tense. Their expectations for a better outcome had all gone. And honestly, losing hope is a pretty horrible place to be. So when we are in that place, how then can things change? And I do think there are some clues here to help us. First of all, recognising how we are feeling. Jesus engaged in this conversation and drew out from them how they were feeling and what they were thinking. And that helps, you know, to talk to Jesus about how we are doing. Putting our head in the sand is not always the best strategy. Jesus knows anyway how we are feeling, like he did here. But he wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear you say it. And our honesty opens the door to our healing. And then acknowledging Jesus is with us in it. He isn't walking away. He didn't walk away from those two on the road. And he didn't ignore it. The first thing he, he, he does is to get them to talk about their situation. Do you know what happened during this 
uh, story, this event, was that the two on the road realised what was true. And sometimes declaring truth helps us when we feel hopeless. So even if it feels a little counterintuitive when we think, how can I be declaring this true, even when I don't see it in my own life? The truth is the truth. And declaring that God is with us and his presence is always with us helps us see things afresh and helps restore hope. And also remembering that Jesus is the game changer. This situation had completely changed because Jesus was alive. And him being with us changes our situations as much as it does for anyone else. Now before I move on, I'd just like to pray um, just for a minute or two because I think those two things uh, are so key as to how we then move on into how do we witness to others, which is where I want to move on to next. So I'd just like to pray. And um, if you feel, you know, I'm, I'm living with a pile of uncertainty now, or I've, I feel hopeless about something, I'd love you, just while everybody's eyes are closed and we're just going to focus on him, I'd, if you want to put your hand up or stand up in your seat, just to indicate in some way to God, you know, God, I'm... I want to refocus on you. I want to know your presence with me in this situation. And can I just encourage you in some way? Just It's indicating to God rather than anyone else. And, um, and I'll just pray for us. Thank you. Father, thank you that you walk with us. I thank you, God, that you do not abandon us. And I want to pray for these folks right now who feel that their uncertainty is almost overwhelming. Or they feel their hope has gone. Jesus, in your precious name, would you come and bring fresh hope, we pray. Would you come and bring peace into every troubled heart, I pray, oh God. That we would be able to be those who, like these two on the road, were able to go again and continue on their journey to tell others about you. God, I pray, come and minister to these hearts. Come and begin a work in these hearts and these lives. We pray for your glory. God, I thank you so much that you are so compassionate and kind. And I pray, God of hope, come and bring fresh hope today, I ask, Lord. Amen. Okay, thank you. Well, moving on with this story, one of the Incredible aspects of this story is the Bible study that Jesus gives to the two on the road. And the key to understanding for these two is the fact that Jesus is able to interpret all the scriptures that have been fulfilled about the Messiah. When we're confused and lack understanding, that is the moment we probably need to pick up our Bibles more, and it's probably the moment when we pick up them the least. But we do need to get back into the word if it's something that we've not been able to do for a while because we felt confused. The Bible brings truth and comfort. One writer puts it like this. When God ordains things to happen contrary to our expectations, like Cleopas not expecting Jesus to die, those are times when we are tempted to doubt his word, lose faith 
and as a result, lose sight of him. But not being able to see him doesn't mean that he isn't there walking with us. We may not recognize him. Those are not the times to neglect the word. Rather, those are the times to spend hours looking. This is where you will begin to recover your sight. Without a doubt, the disciples recognized Jesus. And actually, this story mirrors something of our Christian faith. Often we walk just one step in front of the other. And there's nothing, there's nothing more or nothing less than that. William Carey, one of the great missionaries of all time, is sometimes nicknamed God's plodder. There is virtue in consistent, faithful walking with God. But there are also moments when it's as if the fog has lifted, when the revelation moment comes. Some years ago, when I was at a conference, the speaker got up and said, I'm going to speak on this verse from Psalm 27. Even if my mother and father abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. And I had a bit of a revelation moment then. I realized that at different stages in my life, when I was younger, my mother and my father had both left home separately and at different points. And that came with clarity that I'd never seen before. But then right up close to it came the truth. The Lord will hold me close. So even if my mother, my father abandoned me, God will never abandon me. And that was like the fog lifting. It was just like, you know, something dropped. And honestly, it's never changed. I've, I've had a renewed and a different confidence in God being with me from that point onward. They, the disciples, had that sense of their hearts burning within them. And we can sometimes feel an effect in our bodies as God is close to us. John Wesley, a famous 18th century preacher, spoke of when he became a Christian like this. That evening, he, John Wesley, reluctantly attended a meeting in Aldersgate. Someone read from Luther's preface to the epistle to Romans. About 8.45 p.m., while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Suddenly, that was the moment for John Wesley. He knew everything had changed. Jesus, for him, was the game changer. So one of the things that these disciples decided to do was that they left Emmaus and went back to Jerusalem and they became witnesses. They had a confidence to carry the message. They knew the truth because it brings life in all its fullness. And I think for each one of us, Well, let me slightly change that. I think for me, I need a fresh impetus to be stirred to be a witness for Jesus. I don't have that passion, that imperative that the disciples had. I've got to leave everything and go. Go back to where I came from and tell the truth. I don't live with that. And I also venture to suggest I'm not the only one. That we need 
a fresh impetus to go and tell others about Jesus. Martin spoke last week about the prodigal son, but he also referenced two other parables, the lost coin, where somebody went out and sought and found what was lost. I need that. I need freshly to be stirred to go out and find the lost and say, come in. There's a home waiting for you here. But also, for these disciples, it was the presence of Jesus that changes everything. I don't want to do this because I feel it's just a duty or a right thing. I want to do this because I know Jesus is with me, freshly filled with his Holy Spirit. And those disciples hung on to Jesus. They didn't want to let him go. And there's a story in the Old Testament of Jacob who wrestles with a, a godlike figure or an angel or a presence, a, a sort of um, uh, an early figure of Jesus. And he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Well, I, I want to be in that place. I, I want to have that fresh hunger for Don't let me go. I will not let you go until you've blessed me. And I need that fresh blessing from God in order to go and be witness. I don't want to see the lost perishing. But my fear is that is what is happening all around us. And I wonder if sometimes we need our eyes awakened, like those disciples did on the road. Their eyes, they suddenly saw the truth. God help us to see the truth, that there's a world out there that so needs Jesus. Let us pray. Jesus, I thank you that what you encouraged your followers to do when they said, teach us how to pray, you, the end of it you said, for my kingdom and glory's sake. Well, God, we would come afresh to you, your children, and say, Lord, would you stir us afresh for your kingdom's sake? Will we be those filled with your spirit, not living on yesterday's blessing, but freshly filled for today in order to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who don't know you? God, I pray, stir us afresh. Might we have the tenacity to hang on to you and know that you are the one who blesses. But God, give us, I pray, birthed out of the Holy Spirit, a fresh desire to spend time with you, to hear the truth and let it live within us. Might we truly be a church family filled with the Spirit living in the Word. God, come, I pray. Do a fresh work of grace and mercy amongst us. Might we, even this week, might some of us have fresh opportunities to talk to those who don't know you about Jesus. Give us sensitivity, Lord. Keep us alert to the promptings of your Holy Spirit, but help us not to miss the moment we ask. And Lord, we pray as we go back to Jerusalem, as our, we become God's plodders, <laughs> Lord, I pray that you would do a wonderful work of grace and mercy through us to reach those who don't know you. We ask, Lord, for salvation to come afresh 
into this church family, that those we've been praying for for years and years, there'll be breakthrough moments. We ask for breakthrough moments, God, and we pray for a fresh harvest in these days, we ask, Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you, everyone. And um, there is a team that would be very happy to pray with you if you would like prayer, if there's anything that you would like to follow up from this. And um, there's also tea, coffee out there where you can just uh, enjoy some refreshment and time together. Thank you very much.